Welcome to the Bookkeeper's Voice, an informative and entertaining podcast for bookkeepers who love small business. Each week, Amy Hook explores new ideas and shares real-life stories along with inspiring guests from both inside and outside the bookkeeping industry. Every episode will leave you with a fresh perspective along with industry-specific tips and insights to help your business and your clients' businesses thrive. Hello, everyone. Angie here again from the Savvy Team. I hope you're having a fantastic day. As many of you know, I am the Client Relationship Manager of the team, and I'm one of the Savvy Team members that you spend the most time with in our amazing Savvy Membership Program. However, Amy Hook is the guru who founded the Savvy Bookkeeper and the off the hook bookkeeping as well, because she's a bookkeeper herself. And as the founder, she is a big believer in doing things in the right order. So if you had tuned into last week's episode, you would know that end of financial year is upon us. And this concept is more important than ever of doing things in the right order, because as you know, If you don't have your foundation sorted and in order, your end of financial year is likely to be a massive headache for yourself, your team, and your clients. So to help you minimize the headache, we are going to be doing a throwback series. And today we're actually going to be starting with one of my favorite throwbacks, which is an episode of Amy talking about getting the foundations of your business sorted so you can get in front of things before it's too late, which is always what happens when end of financial year comes around. Fun fact, this is one of the first episodes that were ever launched at the Bookkeeper's Voice. So whether or not you are a longtime listener of us, this is going to be an older episode that is well worth a revisit. Additionally, even though it is older, it is still as relevant as ever. In fact, it forms part of one of our top programs that we have ever launched at the Bookkeeper's Voice, which is our Business Savvy Business Foundations program. This program has been used to used to be offered by the Savvy team as part of a four-part mentoring program with myself and Amy Hook. However, we have optimized the way that we present this information for you so that you can take it any time you want during the day to work around your busy schedule. Before, we used to have to make you stop your busy day and do mentoring sessions with us. Now, you can take it any time you want, day, night, weekday, weekend. It's all at your disposal with a click of a button. Because we know, as bookkeepers, we are always busy doing something. To give you a little bit more information about this program itself, it's an actual four-part training module with myself as your mentor. So you get to hear lots of me talking over and over again, which you do with this podcast anyways, where we actually go through everything from your vision of your business to setting your goals 
understanding your ideal client and service offering while also doing my favorite part, which is your marketing and creating your marketing message. The best part about this program though, isn't the actual content. It's the fact that you can actually regularly, regularly check in with our savvy team in our Ask Savvy sessions, which happen every single week. This allows you to make the most of the training, check in to make sure that the work you have been doing is on the right track and get that extra little bit of support along the way. Because as we all know, bookkeeping can be a very solo and solitary business. Once in a while, it's nice to bounce an idea off of someone else. And that's what we're here for. Now, let's get back to this episode. This episode is going to be talking about why creating your foundations can be so helpful and beneficial for actual bookkeepers in running your bookkeeping business. Because, as we all know, if you don't have your foundations set, it's hard to streamline anything in your business because where do you even start? Now, without any further ado, I hope you enjoyed this episode and make sure to take a peek at our online and free resource, which is our business plan, which has been created specifically by Amy Hook for fellow bookkeepers and our amazing Get Savvy Business Foundations program, which will help you actually implement the business plan and make some lasting and fantastic changes within your business itself. Enjoy this episode. Hey, welcome back. Happy Friday. Today, I'm going to talk to you about doing business in the right order. So I want to ask you this question. How much time and money have you wasted doing things in the wrong order? And also how much brain power and frustration have you invested in things like pricing, hiring, marketing, implementing software programs and so many more things. So just have a think about that for a moment, like how much time or how often do you find yourself with a sense that you're spinning your wheels or wondering, should I actually really be doing this thing or how is this going to fit in? Or perhaps you just find yourself thinking, I don't really have much spare time and I seem to be doing a lot of activity, but I don't really feel that I'm getting the benefit from it. So if you felt like that, then you're definitely going to relate to this. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the ICB, the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers, did a survey in 2015. And there were some very interesting statistics in that survey, which actually sparked a lot of the work that I do with Savvy. So this survey showed, uh, it divided up the people who were running a business and not running a business. So it segmented the people who had, they were in employment, so they didn't need a business plan. But out of the remaining amount of people in the survey, and I, I believe the survey was taken of about 800 uh, bookkeepers, so it's a pretty good sample size, 20% of those bookkeepers who said they were running a business had a written five-year business plan and the, the remaining 80% were, 
were split between. So some of those, I can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but I will post it in the, in the notes. But of that percentage, a larger percentage actually had no business plan at all. And then there were a group in the middle who had a partially completed business plan. And I, I read this information around the same time that I'd started working with a particular client who'd approached me. And I remember this client before he was a client, he came and did a business planning session with me. And so he said to me in our initial meeting, we were talking about his niche and why he does what he does and that kind of thing. And, you know, I said, I said, you know, why do you want to do what you do? Why do you want to help? small business owners. And he said to me, well, you would have heard the statistic before that three, I think it's three, one in three businesses will fail within the first three years. No, sorry, my mistake. It's three in five. So 60% of small businesses will fail in the first five years. He said, you would have heard that stat before. And I said, yeah, of course, like I've heard that many times before. I didn't know what the exact number was. Um, and still, obviously still don't, <laughs> um, but, um, I've, you know, I'd heard that stat so many times, although I'd heard it a little bit differently. Like I think, um, I think it was like, I'd heard that one in three business, small businesses fail or something like that. So there's a bit of a do, bit of doom and gloom out there in terms of small business failure rates. And he said to me, he said, I don't know where I heard this statistic and I've since looked it up and it's actually um, a verified statistic of um, ASIC, of the Australian Securities and Investment Commission. It's actually what he was referring to was the statistic of companies going into liquidation. So that's what he's talking about there. So he said to me, the statistic you haven't heard is that 50% of small businesses that fail are profitable businesses. And when he said that, I still to this very moment remember how that impacted me. So three in five businesses will fail within the first three years. And of those three that fail, 50% of those businesses are profitable businesses. And what I got out of that when he said that, I just like the words that came out of my mouth were just, Oh my goodness. Like this is a solvable problem. So these business failure statistics, three in five is huge. 60%. That is huge. And it's also, it puts a lot of fear in people because when you're working as a small business owner, you think, Oh my gosh, am I going to be, you know, am I going to be in the 60% that fail or am I going to be in the 40% that don't fail? But when I realized that these are, half of these are profitable businesses. I thought, how on earth? It had never occurred to me. I'd never even thought about it. How does a profitable business go broke? How does a profitable business go into liquidation? And so I started listing out what I thought the answer was. And the conclusion that I came to, I came up with three main points that I felt were the cause of this problem. So number one was that business owners don't understand how to control their spending or to how to identify their most profitable income streams. So 
obviously learning how to control their spending is one thing overviewing their expenditure at the end of the month quarter financial year having a look at where they're overspending making plan for the next um, period you know obviously we're all familiar with that you know or as bookkeepers we should be familiar with that um, I really think in this day and age, there's no excuse for a bookkeeper to not know how to look at a P&L and to be able to say, hmm, okay, this person's spending has gone very high in these areas. You know, for me, I, I would say that should be a basic foundational part of double checking your own work. So if you're working for yourself or whether you're checking your staff's work or, you know, even teaching your staff how to check their own work, Every bookkeeper should run the the P and L on the balance sheet at the end of you know each period to make sure that they're you know even to double check their work and make sure the allocations are correctly, but not just to check their own work, but to actually keep an eye on the expenditure of the business and to be able to alert the client because potentially these clients they these business owners are spending and they're not actually um, looking to see how much the totals are you know, on, on the P&L side, on the expenditure side of the P&L, that is. And then the other side of that is about identifying the most profitable income streams. Now, this might be a new concept to you. I'm sure you've heard the word forecasting bandied around like it's going out of fashion. And you might actually be thinking, like, what, what actually is forecasting? And so part of what forecasting is, I mean, forecasting is like for, it's to forecast, like to look forward um, into the future and to predict what is going to happen based on what happened in the past and based on what's currently going on, based on things outside the company, industry trends, that kind of thing. So that, that's it in a nutshell. But what, an important element of this is about identifying a client's most profitable income streams. Now, you, you might be listening to this and thinking, wow, like, is this bookkeeping? Like, is this anything to do with what I do? This may be a completely new concept to you, but this is something that's very important and I think this is part of the reason why businesses fail and you can probably identify this in your own business think about it so think about the different business activities and the various services that you offer now you might just think oh I do bookkeeping but if you really think about it and you you actually just sit down and have a look at your different income streams what you'll find is that you don't just do bookkeeping but you do um, compliance work so you do bass lodgement you do payroll you do data entry um, you do accounts payable, accounts receivable, systemization of business processes and bookkeeping processes. You do training and you also do software setup, software advice, uh, bordering on cloud integration. If you're someone who spends time helping to set up the integrations between software, you give GST advice, you do reporting, you do business planning, consulting, you do all sorts of things. So if you take a really close look at what you do in your business, you will see that you have, you actually have multiple income streams. The only thing is you've never looked at them as different income streams. You just see them all as one as bookkeeping. And so what you will, what you'll be able to see is that, you know, in a, in a small business, when you're working for a business, you will actually be able to identify their income streams and so every income stream has a, an associated cost 
um, associated expenses, overheads. Um, so you'll have staff costs, um, that kind of thing. So let me give you an example. So you might have a, an income stream, which is bass preparation and lodgement. So for me, I don't um, charge a bass lodgement fee for time. It is time exclusive or it's not, it's, it's a, it's a fee that's not associated with a quantity of time. So the work that goes into, in, in, into actually getting the books ready for the bass is included in the bookkeeping. The bass lodgement fee is, as the client once polite, politely put it, um, to click the button. And the reason that I do that is because I've identified that there is a cost there is a cost associated with a bass preparation lodgement, and that is that I'm putting my name on that person's bass statement. I'm a registered bass agent, and I am required to adhere to a code of conduct, which includes uh, doing 40 hours of study every two years, uh, which can cost a lot of money if you're going to, to conferences and uh, taking various courses and things like that. So there's a cost associated with that. There's a cost of getting your BAS license, um, staying registered. There's obviously a registration fee. So for me, a BAS lodgement fee is an income stream that has associated costs with it, but it's not necessarily the same cost as with bookkeeping. So with the bookkeeping stream, there's the bookkeeping fees, there's the software that we're paying for, so we cover the cost of the client's receipt bank files, and we have the staff cost. And so the staff who do the bookkeeping, are the junior staff, so their costs are lower. Um, and then when it comes to checking the accounts at the end to verify them for the bass, which I guess is, is you know, I guess that is a cost that's part of the bass lodgement fee. You've got, you know, the, the bass agent or the senior bookkeeper who overviews everything. So as you can understand now, as I've explained it to you, you have associated costs with revenue streams. So you can actually break down your revenue streams and you can have a look at the profitability of those. A lot of clients have never thought of this. What happens is when, when you start a business, a lot of the time we're looking for opportunities all the time, especially when cash flow is tight. We go, hmm, oh wow, there's an opportunity. I'll start doing this as an, a new income stream. And what starts to happen is we add all these income streams to our business and we've never stopped to think about which ones are profitable and which ones are not. So there may be actually income streams in a business. Uh, potentially not a bookkeeping business because bookkeeping is quite profitable and you know we've got like pretty low overheads and costs and things like that uh, and so you've got these business owners who are potentially um, you know they're offering an in something for an income stream in their business that's potentially losing them money so then you want to be able to have a look at that income stream and you want to be able to say okay well this income stream's losing the money however this income stream generates a lot of leads for the business and those leads turn into paying customers so and, and then in that sense you can look at it like potentially it's a marketing expense so um, let me give you an example. Um, I had a client who was a naturopath and they would have, uh, they would buy a lot of stock on sale to try and increase a profit. But what it turned, turned out was that there was a lot of stock that they couldn't sell and it ended up sitting there on the shelf and, you know, to be able to break that down and see, okay, well, how profitable is this? And then what would the business look like if you didn't have it anymore? And is it possible to do that? So is it possible to be a naturopath? And, and not have this stock available of supplements? Well, the answer is 
no, really. Um, I mean, I guess there, there is an opportunity to do that. You could, you could consult with people and then send them to get their own. So at that point, the business owner can then weigh up, is it worth our time to keep all this stock on hand? Is it worth our time to supply the supplements to our clients or should we just offer them the consulting services, rec make the recommendation for the sub supplements and not try and earn an income stream from that? And by doing that, freeing up the time in our business. So that's just one example of a non-bookkeeping business where, you're, where a business owner doesn't understand how to control their spending or identify their most profitable income streams. And for this very reason, businesses are you know, potentially tying themselves up in like huge amounts of stock or they're providing services that don't provide a good return on their investment and potentially don't even bring leads into the business. So they, you want to be able to help the clients to, to break this down. So I, I believe that that's one of the, one of the reasons that 50% of profitable businesses fail. And number two is I believe that it's because they don't have a strategic and actionable plan to help them to focus on the bigger picture. So just like the ICB survey showed of 800 bookkeepers, 20% of those bookkeepers have a business plan and the other 80% don't. So if you have a, a started business plan that's not finished, well, that tells me that you don't have an actionable business plan. And I'm not talking about a, a very complicated business plan. I'm talking about, you know, start with a very simple business plan, which I'm going to talk about in a little while. So if, if bookkeepers who are dealing with numbers and businesses every single day don't have business plans, I am also going to say, I don't know the exact numbers, but business owners potentially at about the same rate also do not have business plans. So a lot of time people will see a business plan as an unnecessary thing that's only needed if you need finance or if you're looking for investors. A lot of people see business planning as a bit of a waste of time. But we all know that if you're able to focus on the bigger picture, and when I say bigger picture, you know, you've got to have a sense of where you want to get to in the future. And I'm talking like, so with my clients, I say, let's look at five years. We do... Now that said, we don't sit and plan out the next five years because there's, there's, you know, the concept of being agile is super important these days. Like, so I was talking to our, uh, we've got a Facebook ads person on our team. And when we're talking about doing our marketing plan, we're talking about whether we plan out the next 12 months. And he, he made the very good point. No way. We don't plan out 12 months. We plan a quarter at a time because you just don't know how things are going to go. So we love the fact that, you know, we as a business at Savvy and also at Off The Hook, it's all about being agile and being able to change quickly. So your business plan, it has to be uh, not only strategic and actionable. And when I say actionable, it can't, it doesn't need to just be this huge document. It's got to be something that you refer to on a regular basis or that's, you know, I guess simple enough to know at all times when you're not looking at it anymore. Um, so having that business plan in place, it, it, doing a business plan, like the process of getting a business plan is actually a massively important process that so many business owners skip over. And, you know, they skip over it because it's hard or it seems pointless. Like it's actually a lot of work. So, um, you know, like obviously I teach business planning, but I can't 
see my own self and my own um, flaws and weaknesses and shortcomings and that kind of thing. So I also have, a, I have a business coach who helps me with my business plan. And, you know, he asked me a lot of questions to get me thinking about the bigger picture because your business plan is not just about you and your business, but it's also about where you fit in to your industry, where you fit into, um, you know, the workforce or small business in general. It's also about where you fit in as, um, you know, a citizen of Australia. It also, it's also about where, you know, where your where, where you sit in, not only in the world, but also in history, where do you sit um, at a place in time. So my business coach will get me researching the history of accounting. He'll ask me questions. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm here to work on my business plan. You know, what should I sell? How am I going to make money? And he says, do you, you know, do you know why we have accounting? I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and so he sent me on this, like, you know, he sent me down a couple of rabbit holes looking for why do we have accounting? Why do we need accounting? Why do we track our income and expenses why do we need to do that and then I came back to him and gave him what I you know what I thought the answers were and they go okay that's great so like you know obviously we need to track our income and expenses so we can you know lodge tax returns pay our taxes we also do it for planning that kind of thing and then he said okay so where did money come from like why do we have money and I'm like, oh my goodness. So I went back and I did all this research again. And then I'm starting to look into, you know, the reason that we have money and that's, it's part of, uh, you know, like once upon a time we started to trade with, with one another. And so as a result, we needed to, you know, we had money as a medium of being able to um, record or, you know, transfer value. And so he got me thinking into all of these things. And now, you know, I, like I'm in the middle of reading a book called, the Reckoning. So The Reckoning by Jacob Soule, the financial, financial accountability and the rise and fall of nations is, is what the subtitle is for that book. If you haven't read this book and you are a bookkeeper, or even if you're not a bookkeeper, or if you're an accountant or whatever you are, <laughs> get, do yourself a favor and get a copy of this book. Um, I don't think it's available on Kindle. I had to order a real book, a nice hardcover book from, I think I did book depository and I couldn't wait for this book to arrive, but it talks about accounting through history and where accountability, financial accountability or lack of financial accountability can affect so many things in a, in a nation and to see the things play out through history, it gives me context about why I'm here and what I'm actually here to do. And for me, you know, I mean, you might be listening to this now and thinking like, this is blowing my mind a little bit, but this is, this is your, to have a business plan, you need context for who you are, and what you're here for and what your bigger purpose is. It, like if your business plan is just about how much you're going to pay yourself as a salary and you don't have any understanding of where you fit into history, then you know, you're going to struggle. But the thing is business owners don't bother to do this. Maybe because you know, maybe it doesn't sound that interesting, but I'm hoping from what I've just described now it, that, that you will take an interest in the place that you are playing in our nation, in our world, you know, 
before I ever heard of any of this and before my business coach sent me on a wild goose chase into the history of accounting, (laughs) I basically really had no idea. I just thought, well, actually I had a sense, you know, I had a sense, like I knew that when I was working with clients, but I didn't know how to explain it. I didn't know how to convey the information. I didn't. So I, I knew that doing accounting well had something to do with financial integrity. And I knew that if my clients allowed me to help them to do their books accurately, even if it cost them to be able that I knew that I was laying a foundation. I always had a sense of that, that good, a good set of accounts is an excellent foundation for building a business on, but I kind of didn't know why I didn't know how to articulate that. And I also had a sense that, um, you know, bookkeepers, play a big part in the financial integrity of our nation. And to prove that all you need to do is to look at countries that neglect bookkeeping and to see um, corruption and that kind of thing. So, and you only need to look at, you know, I'm, I'm reading about the, the, the Medici at the moment. These were the, the, some of the original bankers in Italy and the Medici were a very powerful family in Italy, uh, in Tuscany, around the, I guess, around 1200s and onwards. And they, their head accountant was meticulous about accounting. In fact, when I was reading The Reckoning, uh, the book that I just mentioned before, what fascinated me was how often they they referred to real-time accounts. So back in the 1200s, accountants kept real-time accounts. Now you might laugh. I always laugh and make a joke about it. Before before reading this book, I used to joke about it. I used to say, oh, we said we've been talking about having real-time accounts since GST came in or since, you know, (laughs) I don't know, since Myob. Do you know what I mean? Like we have real-time accounts is to me, it's always, it seemed like a pipe dream. Um, It's something that we always want. And we always, you know, like I remember years ago, my boss like always promising our clients real-time accounts. And the reality is you could never get real-time accounts because you had to wait for the clients to provide things. And by the time they did it, they were already three months behind and there was nothing you could do about it. Whereas today with zero and bank feeds and all the, all this sort of, technology we're getting closer to real-time accounts but the bank feeds are still 24 hours behind whereas back in the 1200s accountants kept real-time accounts think about that think about the fact that we can't get real-time accounts we're always like what what are we we're a month we're always a month behind <laughs> like to get accounts up to date even to a week is no small feat it requires a lot of discipline a lot of focus and a lot of dedication and potentially would cost a business far more than they would be, you know, willing or able to provide. And I guess, I mean, I don't know, I've got one eye on um, the blockchain technology, which you may or may not have heard of yet, but um, like to me, that presents a, a glimmer of how we may be able to use technology for these, these real-time accounts. So for example, when you invoice a client on a blockchain, 
as soon as you create the invoice, the invoice appears in their system and your system at the same time. And then when you make the payment, the payment's applied against your invoice and their invoice at the same time as well. So I've heard it referred to a single entry bookkeeping as opposed to double entry bookkeeping. But in my opinion, it's actually triple entry, um, triple entry bookkeeping, or I don't know, maybe quadruple entry bookkeeping. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But, you know, we look at the future and we say there might be one day a technology that allows us to have real-time accounts. Whereas back in the 1200s, (laughs) they had real-time accounts. And how did they do that? Well, accountants were dedicated to real-time accounts. So the moment a transaction occurred, the transaction was recorded in a book. Now they did have a second set of books as well. Um, they had one set for the tax man and the public, and then they had their own, you know, their own, their own set of books. So obviously you, you back then um, you've had a, accountants who work twice as hard on their double entry, quadruple entry bookkeeping <laughs> back in the day. But I guess that really stood out to me. So, you know, like I'm, I hope that you're hearing this and seeing like where you fit in, in history and the importance that it is for you to have a strategic and actionable business plan that helps you focus on the big picture for your business, but to also help you to be able to help your clients because your clients also don't have business plans. Many of them don't. Um, And so looking at how, you know, we can reflect on history and we can, you know, forecast, look at the future, what, what is potentially going to happen based on what's already been happening in the past and where technology is heading. And to think about, you know, 50% of profitable businesses going broke, that's, that's huge. And you're here to play, play, you're here to play a part in that. So I believe that we owe it. To, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I believe that we owe it to Australian small business owners to reduce the statistic. We don't want three in five small businesses to fail in the first three years. Like, I would love to see that number shift. Like, if we could see that number shift to even two in five to fail or one in five to fail, that would be amazing. And then out of those ones that fail, that 50% of them are profitable. Like, how do we? How do we reduce that number? How do we change this? And so my conclusion on number three reason why profitable businesses are failing is that, you know, I believe that there is a deceptive success bubble Um, and it's in many circles and it's very strong online. So you'll see it, it's on LinkedIn, it's Facebook, wherever you see people having conversations about business. Obviously we have communities online where you can go and talk about things that are potentially not going wrong, but we're still in a deceptive success bubble. So we live in a world where we want to share with others when, when businesses are going well. We love to announce and share about our sales. You know, how many sales we've made. You know, business coaches do this all the time. And I, I really hate this, to be honest. But business coaches will tell you how much income they earn, but they never talk about their expenses. They never talk about their profit. And they only talk about things when things are going well. And if you go on the flip side of that, 
we don't, we don't really want to hear about when people are struggling. We love success stories and we're in a culture where we love to hear positive stories and we don't like to hear negative stories. And so we live in a bubble where it's very difficult for business owners to come and say, I'm struggling, you know, especially, you know, business owners that are potentially, you know, if they're in leadership positions or if they're influential people or people that others look up to it then becomes very hard because it you know to them it becomes more risky to admit that things aren't going that well and so I think that's massively number three number three like how where can business owners go to talk about the issues they're having in their finances they have nowhere to go like a lot of business owners won't even tell their spouses And I I know I just said that they have nowhere to go, but they do have somewhere to go. They can go to their accountant. Nah, I'm just kidding. No one goes to their accountant when they're struggling. They go to their bookkeeper because, you know, the, the accountants are involved in their accounts maybe once a quarter, but probably at the end of financial year for tax planning and that kind of thing. But the bookkeeper firstly, is probably potentially one of the only people in the company who have the private phone number of the business owner and the business owner tells them everything. So bookkeepers get told things that the business owner won't even tell their wife or their husband. So bookkeepers are in a privileged position. And I, you know, I don't mean to, like, I'm not saying this to look down on accountants, but bookkeepers are in a far more privileged position than an accountant. So accountants are known as the trusted advisor, but it's actually the bookkeeper because the accountants often, and I'm not, I don't want to make a blanket statement here because there are, you know, there are great accountants out there who really, you know, have that relationship with their client, but because of the frequency that bookkeeping's done, you know, bookkeepers are in their, the, the, the accounts of a client on a weekly or even a daily basis. So we're in a privileged position with a business owner to change these statistics. So that's it. Number three, when, when business owners need to reach out to somebody and they have nobody to turn to about their financial situation, they have a bookkeeper they can turn to. But the problem is as, as bookkeepers, many of us don't take the time to, um, you know, to work on number one and number two, which is about understanding how to control the spending and identify the profitable revenue streams. And number two, about the strategic and actionable business plan that helps the business to focus on the business, bigger picture, not just for the business, but for our nation as a whole and where that business fits into history. So bookkeepers are the people who can do something about this. They And the thing that I'm finding is that bookkeepers have a desire to do this because we see the business owners struggle. We see them in pain. And I know for me, back when I first started my business, I saw the struggle my clients were having and I I didn't know what to do about it. You know, I'd spend like 12 months, you know, um, fixing up years and years of accounts of rescue jobs to try and get these accurate accounts. And I didn't realize that there were small steps that I could take regardless of a rescue job being finished. So I always believed that you have to get all of the previous history accounts up to date and accurate before you can start helping them to move forward. And yes, there is some truth in that, but there are also things that you can do to start to help the business owner to look forward as of now. So, so now I just want to jump back to what I was originally talking about. So I started off the podcast talking about wasting time and money and brain power doing things in the wrong order. So I want to actually talk to you about 
how bookkeepers are planning their businesses because we already know only 20% of bookkeepers have a business plan. So how are all the other bookkeepers managing in business? Well, I've kind of nutted it down into four, uh, four items. Um, and this is what I think that it is. So I think one of the ways that we plan in our bookkeeping businesses is that we look at what others are doing and then we tr copy them or we try to copy them. So that's number one. And I think that, yeah, I think this is huge. And I think that this leads to, I, I think it actually, it looks like a solution, but it's one of those short term solutions. It's like, kind of like the equivalent of, I guess, similar to, let's say you feel stressed. So you've got two, let's say you have two choices. When you feel stressed, you could, I don't know, like tuck into a block of chocolate or a bottle of wine, or you could put on your sneakers and some running gear and you could go for a run. Now, the first option is easy and the second option is hard. But the first option, so both of those things will give you stress relief, but one of, one of the option has long-term negative consequences and the other one has long-term positive consequences or beneficial, yeah, like, <laughs> sorry, long-term consequences, I mean benefits. So one of them has, um, has long-term benefits. So, you know, I think one of the things that I've found and, you know, I've been guilty of this myself is that because I don't take the time to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing in my own business, I look at what everyone else is doing and I'm like, oh, look at this person. What's this person doing? What's that software? What's this software? Why is this person doing this? What are they doing? Oh, I might try that. Oh, I think I need one of those. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's actually endless. And I think what it's doing is that I think by doing this, that we're not actually solving. So what happens is we do it as a reaction to some kind of pain that we're having. But what we're doing is we're just kind of like eating chocolate slash drinking wine over the top of our problem. We're not actually dealing with what's going on underneath. Um, so that's the first one, looking at what others are doing and copying them or trying to copy them. And then number two is reacting to pressures building up inside of us and then doing what you think you should do to relieve the stress. And that's totally related to my analogy about the chocolate or the running. So, you know, one of the things that is eat, like it's easy not to do because there's pressure coming at us from all different directions. And I'm talking about, you know, competition, there's all sorts of competition and people, you know, um, offering cheaper prices and then all the pressures of, you know, what I just mentioned in the last one, which is that we should be using all these different software programs. And then there's, you know, the extra pressures on bookkeepers about being held accountable for, you know, if, if the business owners are doing the wrong thing with their payrolls and there's just so many things, I wouldn't even be able to list them all, but that's just a few. And so what we do is we react to the pressure that's building up inside of us and we go, Oh, I'll just do this. Oh, I'll just do that. Oh, I'll just, and many of a time it actually results um, in like very, very frequently it's hiring. So normally what we'll do is we'll hire too quickly we'll go oh my gosh I feel the pressure I just need to hire someone and we get the wrong person and then we go and complain that there's no 
good staff out there or we take on a client that we know is not a good fit but we're just reacting to pressure um, you know financial pressure or whatever it might be um, maybe pressure from the actual person themselves you I just don't know it could be a pressure from an employee who's wanting more work so we're re responding and reacting to these pressures and then what we're doing is we're hiring and we're taking on new staff without actually thinking about the consequences and not actually realizing if this is part of the bigger picture, is this even going to lead to what I actually want? So that leads me into number three, which is that we try random things without thinking it through. Like we just do random stuff. It's like, Oh yeah. And this really comes back to copying people. It's like, Oh yeah, I saw this on Facebook or maybe I should try and do this. And we just sort of try things, you know, without actually thinking, how does this fit into the bigger picture? for my business um and then another one this is a classic and this is huge because of social media i guess it's like that we ask other people who also have no clue so I've, I've said this before in my business planning basics webinar which is a free webinar that you can watch about business planning and in that webinar i just talk about the fact that you know when we go to facebook like i think facebook's so bad for this we have these lovely online communities where we can get together and get support at any time. But the problem with those groups is that it can make us lazy. Um, so what we can do is we can say, Oh, like, so without telling people any context of like what size business we have or who our target market is or anything like that, or what our specific goals are, we go into a Facebook group and we go, Oh, what's the best software to use for this? And then everyone comes in and puts in like a hundred different opinions and you, you kind of end up more confused and you think to, you think to yourself, Oh, I sort of wish I didn't post that. And then at the end you go, Oh, thanks everybody. Thank you so much for all your help. I'll have to have a think about it. And it's like, you've got all this extra information. Like maybe you feel more confused <laughs> than you did before because what you've done is basically you've gone to ask a whole group of other people who have no idea. And, you know, it's not wrong to ask for help. And I do say this in the business planning webinar that it's, it's about learning better questions to ask people, you know, rather than coming in and saying, Hey, what's the best software program to do? I don't know, record staff timesheets, for example. And then everyone come in and put their opinions. Like what might be better is to say, uh, hey everyone, I've got a, a small bookkeeping business. Um, we've got um, two remote staff and one on-site staff member and we're hoping to grow this year. We'd like to double our team and we've tried this software, um, but I'm just wondering, has anyone else been in this situation and what software did you use for tracking your staff time? So can you see the difference between you know, so then what you're doing is because by asking that question, you're not just asking random people who have no clue, like the blind leading the blind, but what you're doing is by asking the question that way, you're only speaking to people who know what you're talking about and you're not going to get, so you might not get a hundred responses. Cause I think sort of, you know, sometimes we can, you know, we like the fact that we can post in a Facebook group and get a hundred responses, but it's like, who cares? Like if you get a hundred responses, isn't it better to get one response that's actually correct? One that's actually going to help you. So anyway, what I want to point out here is a massive reality check that those four things that I've listed, that's not a business plan. That's just a recipe for stress. And that's something that I want to actually help you with so that you don't have to land yourself in that world of pain. So 
probably the top three things that bookkeepers are trying to do in, in this fashion would be, so it'd be hiring, pricing and marketing. So yeah, I guess I'll start with pricing. So I, so I've obviously, I've just started the bookkeeping project, which is me starting my business off the hook bookkeeping again, um, kind of from scratch in a way. It's not really because I've already done it before, but restarting my bookkeeping business and letting everyone watching what I'm doing and sharing my processes with them. And so what I've noticed is since I've opened up the Slack channel for all of these people to join, so we've got about 260 bookkeepers in the program and <laughs> everybody's like, so we have a channel that's dedicated to pricing and everybody kind of flocks into the channel and they're all trying to find out like, oh, what software are you using and what are you doing and how did you break this down and how did you price this? And, and, I, and I actually said in that group, okay, everybody, it's time to calm down because we're going to get to pricing. Like, don't worry. Pricing is actually step two in my entire process of how to set up your business. So don't worry. We will get to pricing, but I want you to remember this, that the most important thing is to do business in the right order. And I thought, okay, well, how am I going to explain this? So I kind of did a bit of a brain download to my graphic designer and I asked him to come up with um, some kind of visual diagram that I could use. And I'll actually share that diagram with you. I've got two, two versions. So I've got one that breaks it down. So I've got six steps, six steps to help you to know which order to do your business in. But what we did was we initially did it as there's basically nine different kind of things that you can focus on and they go in a specific order. So I'll share that in the comments. Um, you'll see the direction that the arrows go and there's some that kind of double up. So obviously you want to start with your business plan, then pricing. So you do the business plan first. So I've just talked about the business plan, um, getting that bigger context, the bigger picture, understanding where you're actually going before you try and do pricing, before you try and do branding, marketing or anything like that. Now, obviously when you, you know, once you start hearing about this, you're probably already, you know, at a different stage. So we've got, so step one's business planning, step two's pricing, step three, branding and marketing. So branding is like crafting your message and marketing is getting the message out there into the right platforms. And then you've got step four, sales and onboarding. I put those two together because they kind of go hand in hand. Step five is services. So your range of services that you offer to your clients and everything that's involved in that. And I put step six as team building because until you're offering services, you're not going to be building a team, right? So you're not going to be hiring before you've got clients. Whereas if you've already got a team, but you've never looked at your branding or you've never done your pricing, you can backtrack. Or if you've never done a business plan, all you do is you look at the diagram, you go, okay. So that's the, the six step diagram. The, the nine step one starts with a business plan and then you can go to branding or pricing. If you go to pricing first, then you go to branding. <laughs> um, and then from there you go to marketing, then to sales onboarding to services and then you build your team and then you also get referrals which leads to more sales that so kind of goes around the circle so you have to look at the diagram to know what I'm talking about but basically if I condense those nine items into six steps that's what they are step one business planning step two pricing step three branding and marketing um, and before I kind of ramble on too much I'll quickly cover you know Branding, um, branding and marketing. The reason you do that in a particular order is because let's say you want to get a website done or you want to like get some graphics done for your business. 
when you go to speak to your designer or marketing person, let's say you want to get Facebook ads or something like that, they're going to say, okay, well, who, who's your target client? And you're not going to know. And I can tell you now, like about 98% of the bookkeepers that I work with when, you know, when we're doing their website, no clue whatsoever who their target client is. They go, oh, I just want to work with anyone really don't want to limit myself. But so if that's fine, like it's fine to diversify, but if you're going to be doing a marketing campaign, you have to target somebody like that's just reality. You can't just be general and you know, and that you can still have diversity in your client base and you know, that's something that you have to figure out. So I think, I guess I'll share with you as well. There are different ways that you can niche and figure out your target client. Um, I talk about that a lot in business planning in action, which is, um, that's a business planning webinar where I go through and help you work out your niche. So I'll put the, put the link to that in the comments as well. So you can go through, it's so important. That's step three. You've got to figure out your branding and marketing. So you work out who you're marketing to and what the message is. And then where are those people and how do you get that message to those people? And it's fine. Let's say you've got more than one target client. Well, then you need to craft different messages for those people because they have different pain points. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll share a couple of resources with you so you can find out about how you can niche and still have variety because, you know, we all love variety. It doesn't mean you have to limit yourself, but you, you can still have that variety. So that's, you know, so step three, marketing and branding and marketing, branding first, then marketing, of course, that's the order that it goes in. But then from there, you've got your sales and onboarding. So probably when bookkeepers talk about sales and marketing, it's like as if it's the same thing, but it's completely different. So your sales... Um, sorry, your marketing, so your branding is crafting the message and the marketing is, I guess, broadcasting the message, putting the message out there and sales occurs from the point where somebody hears the message and when they hear the message, they go, oh, I'm interested and they contact you. So as soon as that person contacts you, they leave the marketing phase and they come into sales, into your sales process. And the sales process is about you starting to build a relationship with them, introducing them to your services and finding out if you should work together. And then once they say yes, they pop into the onboarding stage, which is a quick process to help the, the client to understand how your business works and what you expect from them and what they can expect from you. And then from there, they come into, into your services. So your services um, phase of the business is really, you know, or stage of the business, I guess you could say, um, or step, whatever you want to call it. That's when you're offering the service. So that's an ongoing thing, you know, obviously monthly, weekly, quarterly, whatever your clients are. And then from there, you'll get referrals. So obviously you pop back around. If you get a referral, it, that person then pops into the sales stage and then back through the onboarding and into services. And then, so the other, um, you know, issue or thing that bookkeepers do in the wrong order is hiring. And, and this is what I was talking about before, the pressure. So what we do is we look at pressure that we have and we react to it. So we feel the pressure. We've got too much work on. We've got so much going on. We're, you know, stressing about whatever. And what's a detail, default reaction for someone who's full? Well, the reaction is hire someone. The thing is we talk about hiring someone as if it's just like, oh yeah, I'll just hire someone, not realizing A, how long it takes to hire somebody 
and B, how long it takes to onboard and train a new employee in your system. So even if they're, you know, a senior bookkeeper level, they still have to learn your systems. And as a result, you're more stressed than ever. So, um, you know, hiring is something that comes, you know, I, I guess in my steps and stages, it, it comes at step six. Um, hiring is something that you, you know, all the way back in step one, when you're looking at your business plan, you want to think about this. You want to think about, okay, in the future, like what's the most amount of staff that I would ever possibly want to have? Some people don't really want that many staff. Some people, sometimes when I work with a bookkeeper, they'll say, oh, I'd only like one part-time person. Whereas others go, oh, I'd love to have 10 staff, 10 full-timers, 10 part-timers, whatever. So it's, it's different for everybody. And so, you know, doing things in the right order is super important. It's, it's, it's as important as a builder laying a foundation before they build the house. But yet we do it all the time. We, we start building our houses <laughs> without doing the foundation first. So, you know, obviously just remembering, okay, as soon as you feel that stressfulness, rising up in you or that temptation to down a whole bottle of wine or a whole block of chocolate or both at the same time, like rather than default going to that, ask yourself this simple question. I want you to actually drum this into your mind to go, okay, I feel stressed about the business. Which stage am I up at? What, what step am I up to at the moment? And just re-remind yourself, okay, because the thing is, it's not like you go, oh, step one, two, three, four, five, six, done. But you're going to go, oh, yeah, I've been doing my business for a while and I'm up to, you know, I'm trying to do some more marketing or I'm trying to do hiring. So you'll be, be at a spe specific step that you're focusing on. But it's probably likely that you're trying to do like a lot of different steps at the same time and you're not realizing that you will revisit those steps over and over again. It's just knowing which one am I focusing on now. and you know, like, so in my business, I even use like this understanding or this mindset or framework that I'm introducing to you. I use this to how to break up my week. So if you, if you want to focus on more than one of those steps at the same time, you can set aside specific times during the week to focus on that step, for example. So, so that's really the thought that I want to leave you with i want you to think about you know when you feel compelled to look at what other people are doing and try to copy them or when you see the next shiny thing and want to copy that i mean so i mean i do know some bookkeepers who love shoes but as bookkeepers we might think oh you know like i'm not really into fashion that much i don't really care about those sorts of things but you know we we think that we're not uh, superficial chasing shiny things but the reality is we try we you know we chase software applications and then you know we go on facebook and we're like hey everybody i just signed up for you know receipt bank or whatever like sorry this is not a plug for receipt bank by the way just that was the first one that popped into my mind like whatever you you know what i mean so um, people love to go and say, Hey, like I'm using the latest technology. And I think that's our, for bookkeepers, that's our shoes and handbags. You know, you won't see us posting on Facebook about our new Jimmy Choo handbags, but we'll definitely be out there saying, Hey, like, guess what I use to track my time or Hey everyone, like I got a 
IX500 scan snap printer, like how cool am I, that kind of thing. So that's what we do. And it's, it's not rat bad, it's not wrong. It's just something that we do. But just notice when you see that shiny thing and you're like, oh, do, do I need that shiny thing? Do I need it? And, you know, keeping up with the Joneses quite kind of thing. You know, if you feel that pressure building inside of you and you're thinking, what can I do to release relieve my stress like is it going to help if I hire someone or is it going to help me if I just get more clients or is it going to help me if I go to package pricing that kind of thing you know if you find yourself in that place we're like oh my god I don't know what to do like I, I just want you to remember this just remember step one it's like I don't know do you feel like you're at an AA meeting like step one is admitted that we were powerless over alcohol or whatever <laughs> whatever it is yeah I don't know why I said that in American accent but anyway yeah. So basically that's what I want you to remember. Like if you can't remember the six steps, just remember step one, which is the plan, the business plan. What is the plan? Like, where are we going? What are we doing? Why are we here? And just take that time to revisit that. And then, you know, I'll give you the diagram, like print a copy of it, stick it on your wall and just remind yourself like where, which step am I on? And, you know, when you're feeling like you're just sort of randomly doing things, like, you know, that feeling, it's the feeling that your head is spinning or that you're doing a lot of things, but you're kind of like stuck on like, you know, I need to do this, but I can't do that until I've done this. And I can't do that until I've done this. And you feel a little bit locked in. That's the sign that I want you to look for, you know, and when you find yourself, like if you find yourself tempted to go on Facebook and ask a whole bunch of people that have no idea what they're doing how to help you in your business. I want you to actually be aware of that as well. And just remember, like, take a deep breath <laughs> and think there are six steps and I just need to remember which one I'm up to and go to that step and just start from there. So anyway, I hope today has been most helpful and I look forward to seeing you all again next Friday. Well, I won't be seeing you, but you'll be hearing my voice. So I'll see you then. Thank you for listening to The Bookkeeper's Voice. We'll be back next week. So subscribe to future episode notifications. Do you want to be more efficient? Get instant access to our free template of the month. Visit thesavvybookkeeper.com.au slash freebie. Would you love to connect with other savvy bookkeepers to get support and ideas? Join the Savvy Bookkeeper Facebook group. Do you need help with pricing, marketing, web design or business planning? Visit thesavvybookkeeper.com.au to see our services. Until next time, stay savvy.